0: Hi
1: and uh, welcome to Absolute Clarity. I'm your host Kyle Daniels, and today I'm here with Sean English and Matt Kerr from Seventy Seven, a creative. I don't want to say agency because. Not. That's a buzzword. We're not. What would you class yourselves as?
0: Uh, I guess you would call us a, uh, a group, which is what what's in the title. We're a 77 Group, and that group would probably be a, a group of um, multi-channel experts. Yeah, experts in their field. I suppose. We, I suppose we would say. You know, we, we don't. You know, the way we you know we think you put it into business context. The way we the way we pitch to people, we don't have a sales team who go out and sell one massive offer. You know, we go. Out, we've got a sales team who go out and talk to certain people and if they need to talk about content marketing they might drag Sean into the room if they need to talk about um digital somebody else photography somebody else you know so that's how we we've, we've always worked like that and i think the the business, the group as the group as a whole understands that mentality and works like that so yeah. i think yeah. if we tried to change that and suddenly started saying agency I think that'd wrap, wrap is that is that going to
1: be a new strap line, that whole sentence uh, that's, that's that's place. long right yeah that's um, long form that's the elevator that's statement. the google long <laughs> form isn't yeah. it that that's the elevator
0: statement if you're going from floor one to 20 <laughs> <laughs> there's,
2: there's probably not a word that fits exactly what we are it would completely depend on who we were speaking to um but the the closest thing to describe it in a, in a real nutshell would be a, a content production business so whether that's, like Matt said, photography or digital assets or whether it's uh, video or whether it's actual strategy and branding, that's what we would bring to the table. But it it would be whatever was in whoever, whoever we were speaking to's best interest. Yeah. So trying to flip the conversation from an agency could be quite tactical and only sell what they offer as an agency. So if it's a digital agency, they might just say, well, you need uh, SEO and PPC and you might need a bit of paid social to do this. Whereas we'd approach it from a different tack and say, well, what are you trying to do? Where do you see your business going? And focus on the why and then bring the right people in the room. So it's a really fluid, open conversation, which which is great because you've got a giant building full of, different specialists in their field and you can pull them in at any one time if you've if you've got somebody in the room
1: normally i would introduce you guys but i think your job titles won't necessarily give you the full credit of what you do for 77 so uh if you guys want to introduce yourselves
0: my name's mike on my business card it says i'm an account director uh, i've been with this company yeah we'll get into the uh, <laughs> yeah. the history of it a bit later but go on I've, I've, in all its guises since 2003. So I've been in, I've been here 15 years, and in that 15 years, my role has changed massively. You know, I first started as a fresh-faced graduate as a still life fashion coordinator. There you go. This is how long ago it was. My first job here was sitting over a light box signing out trannies. And the thing is, now I speak to people who come into the business as new people and say, that was my first job. And yeah. I get that reaction on Sean's yeah, yeah. face. And they think, you know, yeah. they can't understand transparencies and photographs that weren't digital. And the fa- yeah, you know, yeah. That's what you mean. Pictures on a mobile phone were a pipe dream back then. Yeah. <laughs> mobile phones were a pipe dream back then. Yeah. There's only about four in the business. Yeah, yeah. Nokia
2: 3210, if it wasn't a game of snake, you didn't know what it was. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> so, uh, and uh, my, obviously my role has changed massively as the, as, as the, as the business has evolved you know you know what we were talking about earlier in the way that we sort of operate operate with different clients we've been very organic in the way that we've grown and we've never been forced we've never had a structure that forces clients to do things we've been very very proactive and react and both reactive in establishing a network of support for clients that enables us to perform and deliver what is best for them so you know in that context I have evolved from my first role And then, you know, before I started, we didn't have an accounts team per se, you know, because we were we're here in Manchester and we're in the heartland of mail order. So the core of the business of that point was at that point was was photography with a supporting design team. You know, so we then grew an accounts team as that account teams grew. We brought more business in, you know, and then the roles within that account team grew and grew and grew. You know and now we've got a structured account team from account execs to account managers senior account managers to account directors and um, to client services directors you know and we, and we've done that across across the whole of the group Um, you know that's that's one side of the job the other side of the job is you know I, I spend a lot of time driving internal efficiencies within the business I work I work with all the business units on trying to you know, get better processes in place and understand clients' needs to be more efficient and making sure that the right people are doing the right jobs in the right roles, and they're not, you know, you're not doing Sean's work and Sean's not doing your work just because that happens to be easier. So, I spend a, t- a lot of time in that in that remit as well, doing that. But the official title is account director.
1: Sean, you're a bit like the Simpsons character, aren't you? You may remember me from such, <laughs> yeah, exactly, From right. such places <laughs> as so. What's your role at uh, 77?
2: So again, Matt's not kidding. A job title I think these days is is really difficult unless you do something super specific. So officially, head of group communications, so brought in to marketing for 77 as a business and working on internal and external communications. So part of that was the rebrand last year from uh, Link and Hungry Tiger to 77. I think fairly early on in starting here, that role I joined to do, changed uh, dramatically. So it kind of uh, exploded because I opened my big mouth and started getting involved in things, which is great and really encouraged. You know, autonomy and freedom in the business is, is amazing because you're kind of left to get on with, you know, where you fit in and find your path. I think like Matt is, is obviously doing with his role. He's, his day-to-day is, is the account director role, but he's driving ops and, and efficiency changes.
0: I think, I think also part of that is as, as a group, you know, we're, we're always, you know, we have a mantra of highlight you know, when people come in and there's a hiring process to bring people into the business and we're all, we always want to re- employ people who are eager to learn, but not always, not that eager to bring ideas with them, you know, and like Sean said, we're always open. If someone comes in in one role, you know, they might be an accountant, but suddenly if they happen to be tech savvy, then there's no reason why they can't input into a conversation about that, you know, so... We've got great visibility on who's in the business. Everybody knows everybody in each department. And there's no it's not unheard of for someone to be sat in a room and say, oh, actually, do you know what? I've, that person who works on that account over there knows quite a bit about this. So we'll bring those, yeah. those guys into the conversation.
2: Completely. So now, I guess, the role has kind of evolved into a real multi-channel strategic sort of role. So I kind of cover everything from supporting the business development team, getting involved in pitches, to... Uh, strategic work that mostly focuses around marketing, communications, content. Because my background covers the whole spectrum of of marketing, I can kind of fit in. I'm sort of one of those jack of all, yeah. master of none.s
1: Is that your official LinkedIn headline? Yeah,
2: I like. I feel like that would suit really <laughs> well. I'm sort of like
1: jack of all trades, master about seven.
2: Yeah, I, I, I like going with head of stuff other people don't want to do. I don't know. There's there's nothing perfect, but uh, you know, a big part of that is is being external and being out there. So hence the involvement with people like Pro Manchester, so involved in their creative and retail and e-coms committees and then recently getting the role as vice chair of the MPA. Um, well done. It's good and it, it's, it's great for the business and it's it's great for me because it, I get to yeah. meet people I possibly wouldn't with my 77 hat on. I can put on a, a, an industry hat, an industry body who's there to represent digital media and creative yeah. and have conversations that just, just change things. But despite you know not necessarily having the perfect job title that fits I think it's like I I love the role that I do and getting to work with every single business unit whether that's digital creative photography you know whatever it's it's massive and you know I've learned loads since being here and it's great to be at an independent business that's been around for so long that's owned independently number one but actually can do everything so it's fantastic to see the evolution of seventy-seven over forty odd years, where, you know, beginning as a photography business and now being able to actually offer, you know, end-to-end stuff. I hate that phrase, but it really is. It's it's the planning, it's the creation, it's the delivery and the optimizing of content in whatever form. It's being able to measure that and grow and learn and, and actually be integrated, which is, is rare. A lot of businesses say they can do it and i think when when we took you round you sort of went so you have like a little campus in manchester then yeah. you have that building and those studios and this department it's it's massive i
1: think when you get to the studio and i don't think the external gives it enough credit because it is the old school house and it does generally lend to its name it looks like an old school house but you don't realize until you step inside how much of another world it is like the studios that you got set up, all the different areas, it, it's truly incredible. And you wouldn't, for the location as well, I know we joked about work before, but you wouldn't ever imagine this kind of kind of place, like this not, close to Manchester City Centre, but still the so space long. that it provides. No, if and last 12.
2: year I think came in the top 10 of Prolific North's uh, inspired spaces, and that was massive because...
1: 10 or 12, was, was that the... All right. All right. I think no, we were Did eighth, eighth in the top ten list out of eighth like for the top ten.
2: several dozen entries. Yeah. At least that was a, a really awesome moment because you've got businesses from Leeds who are huge. You have like amazing businesses in Manchester that have somewhere they've, they've you know got someone to deck out purposefully. Mm. Everything in seventy seven is created and designed by us. So unfortunately, we've we've not had someone come in and say, do it like this because this will make sense and it'll flow you've just kind of got a group of us who go, we want to do that, we're going to do it.
1: In terms of, I know you mentioned about it being 77, there was a rebrand about 18 months ago. Matt probably you're the best one to answer this in terms of the history of 77, because you've been around technically 40, 41 years, but Not really it's personally. longer. Not me personally. Not you personally.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Originally, we, we as part of the, the rebranding process, the, uh, the idea of the name was, was thrown out to every member of staff, and, you know, and we all had our had our thoughts and we all went away as different, as, as different departments and sort of said, right. Okay. What do we want to do? And there were some great ideas. There was some, you know.
1: Were there any shocking ones? <clears throat> any truly Japanese flowers crin- were there? There
0: was a lot of like um, some, some print crin-
1: symbols. Like we won't call ourselves a name, but mm. it's a squiggle.
0: You know, there's there's creatives in the business. So you know, there were random
1: words. He's like such an account director. Did you in. see that? How oh, he <laughs> you know I mean? dodged that there? was creatives. creatives
0: You know, there's random words that I'd never seen before in my life. Thinking, all right, okay. You know, then there was. So and so on, co. and all the and, yeah. and but then what was really interesting is that everyone was quite keen. You know, David, who found the business, he's, he's still integral within the business. So he still he still comes into he still comes into work. His focus now is around innovation and driving innovation in the business because he's got time to do that because we've you know that's that's the role he's going to play. So the fact that David is still present in the business, the fact that we've like we're saying, we're still within the same buildings. There's a heritage to to the company, and I think. Wiping the slate clean and putting a random word there sort of disregarded what went before. Granted, you know, part of the reasoning was around the unity of the three locations and bringing them all together under one name. Everyone had always assumed that we were founded in 77, so therefore the name became 77. You know, according to Inland Revenue and Companies (laughs) House, we technically started in 75, but that's not as... Aesthetically pleasing, and it was interesting to see that every department who, when we were looking at the rename, put 77 into the mix, so it stood out naturally. Mm. You know, so actually the transition of into, from Photolink into 77 and Hungry Tiger into 77 mm. was actually quite smooth because everyone was sort of had seen it, was aware of it, had you know said, yeah, you know, we'll throw that, we'll throw that idea into it. Did
1: Joy's have it in your minds that you wanted to move away from those two names? Was yeah. that always the plan? It was a huge, get some. it
2: was a huge cultural thing as well. So for anybody. You know, we won't go down that road because the podcast isn't long enough for this session. But for anybody who's been through a rebrand, it's impossible to execute perfectly. The pitfalls of rebranding could be you know a podcast series in itself because there's everything from what should your wi-fi name be have you told the person who's putting your wi-fi code on the wall that you've got the social media handles have you communicated that that that's in the url
1: your emails it's people will be furiously taking notes right now don't even get get me started it's insane that's
0: that's the stuff you just think off off the top of your head you know there's a whole thing around operational things that Sean's talking about that you've got to take care of there's also there's people's mentality you know because people naturally think oh if the business is changing what what does that mean for me you know so we went through a whole exercise of saying it actually means Nothing for you. What we're actually going to do is we're going to redefine the company values and make them visible. You know, so we're actually going to include you in a lot of what we're doing. So actually, we we want to make things a bit more integrated. We want to empower employees more. And then it's actually
1: going to be better for them at a time when they're probably worried for the jobs. What they're actually getting exactly. is a more and you secure structure. Can't be an
2: integrated business from a really basic point of view if you're all called different things because it's a tribal thing. It took six months for everybody to start referring to themselves as. Somebody who works at 77, not Hungry Tiger or Photolink. It still took
0: me a few weeks to... P- I, was, I went Water Pilot, picking up the phone. I was still saying yeah. Photolink mm. for a few... Was, uh, nope. Yeah. Just <laughs> let them speak first. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Something as simple as that, though, and it's we all work for the same company now and we're all the same thing. And yeah. it's, it's a really... It sounds like a really futile, silly thing. It is. But and it's really important.
0: And, you know, like now, 12 months in, <coughs> after the physical rebrand you know and that's, that's that's another point to mention we're, we're now not referring to ourselves in the in the past tense of their location name sort of name them we're sort of now referring to ourselves as Manchester and London because we, we we understand now if you're in London you're just part of the London team if you're Manchester part of the Manchester team you know you need a start point to say right okay from this is day 0 and from this day boom we explode and we go out there as 77 you know so we we all went as one massive business we went
1: to Solly Hull. <laughs> Who decided on that? Because I, I, I went on your website. If you get a chance, if you listening to this, go to the website because it's incredible, Like as you would expect it to be. But I did read there was a whole article about the Solly Hull It was visit. geolocated.
2: <laughs> it's halfway between both.
1: Was between. that a dart? Just thrown at a map.
0: I mean, technically, UK if you
2: include Mumbai, it wasn't halfway no, between yeah. everywhere, yeah.
0: but... It was somewhere big enough in between to do it. But it, what was brilliant was it... Was it cheap enough? Was that the... Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. It was not cheap. All right, okay. There was, there was an investment made. Was yeah. That? But there's not a lot of <laughs>
2: places you can take 180 people. No, no.
0: No. And, you know, what was great about it was the, the there's people in Manchester who had heard names of people in London because there's, there's key figures. Yeah. You know, they'd seen faces of people walking in and out of the business. And, you know, for the guys in London, it it was different to us, you know, because the the guys at Hungry Tiger theoretically were being bought by a company in Manchester, you know, and what what does that mean for them? And then all of a sudden, oh, we're going to change the name. And then for those guys, it must have been like, whoa, hang on a minute. So, you know, actually integrating Manchester people down there and those guys up here. And the, you know, the launch sort of put everyone together. We were all strategically starting meeting people. You know, when you, you put faces to names, names to faces, spent time with people. And then we all went back into work on the Monday, having the communal spaces in both locations decked out the same. So if you go down to the gallery in Manchester, the tables and chairs, the TVs, what's on the wall. Is the same as in the communal space in London. So actually, if you walk into London, having never been there before but been to Manchester, you know you're in. 77. Feels like home. And vice versa. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. for clients as well. The the similar similarity. You know, because now we've not only we've got a individual offering of saying, you know, we we can do some more while you're in Manchester, but the guys in London are saying, you know, look, we can we can bring someone from Manchester to talk to you about talk about this if that's helps.
2: Yeah. And the the other nice thing from the launch as well was particularly across you know photography, styling, art direction, uh, creatives. We have the same skill set in Manchester as we do in London. So it was really nice to see, you know, art director meeting art director who had never spoken face-to-face before but had communicated. But because those skill sets, you know, are identical in each location, that was a really great thing for them to be able to connect. You know, we have a, a client services team in Manchester. We have one in London. And despite you guys speaking all the time, it kind of made everybody feel like they were one big team as opposed to, I'm this bit of that.
1: Pulsed in nicely into the first topic that we wanted to cover, which was longevity in business. Obviously there's the sad news in that Toys R Us obviously couldn't find a buyer and that they're gonna be effectively six weeks from now, they're gonna be closing all the stores. Obviously you guys have been going on for, what, well, since 75, technically. Yeah. yeah. Through a business like yourselves, that's not really heard of. there's so much competition out there
2: especially in independent still
1: yeah yeah
0: and I think you know a lot of that is down to the fact that we hold our hands up we've tried some things that failed but what we've been able to do is recognize failure quite quickly and reinvest it elsewhere and when we have when we have invested in things that have been successful they've been great and we've invested well into them going back to when I first started here you know we had a massive photographic offer and we had a creative offer we had a fairly sizable it was called a new media in those days. You know, yeah. digital term didn't even exist. You know, well, those guys were sort of locked away. They were in ponytails and Star Wars T-shirts in the far yeah, corner yeah. of the building. We still are. <laughs> no <laughs> one's opened that door yet. No one's found them. That's the other attic. <laughs> yeah. you know. But, you know, we did off the top of my head. You know, we, we ventured into China, for example, following, you know, when we went to India, we were really successful in India. Uh, we had clients who were looking to how to break into the Chinese market. And we thought maybe we could be one step ahead and how the success that we've had in India carry into doing it in China, it didn't work. It's just not the same marketplace, it's not the same legalities, not the same infrastructure, anything like that. So we quickly said, you know what, China was nice, but we're not gonna we'll we'll draw the line at that. Investment all, all the ways is around we quickly recognized that you know the the studios that you've seen, cash your mind back ten years, they were all full of large room sets, shooting bedding and curtains and furniture. Um, you know we're not purpose-built for that sort of thing so we made a real big decision to sort of convert the mentality of the photographic side of the business into prioritizing e econ photography you know and what we've been able to do now is actually have on rails a really slick really quick SLAs with clients where we get samples on a Monday and they are live on a website by Wednesday you know we turn that stuff around in days and that includes someone going down to the Midlands to pick someone up and bring it back here you know so we've we've really targeted the areas that we think we can get successful in and we've been successful in them and I think that has ultimately led to the longevity of where we are you know and now we see it more and more in in the digital and the content marketing you know we were very siloed if you like previously around you know photography does that creative and design do that you know but now we've sort of advanced to a point where The lines are a bit blurred, you know, and actually creative feed, digital marketing, photography feed, creative, you know, we're we're one big factory that feeds all the things. So if we do get a client that walks through the door and says, actually, I want all that massive offer. It's not an issue. If we get one that walks through the door and says, actually, I just want you to take 10 pictures of some t-shirts. Fine.
1: Yeah. Is it like having that not in an insulting way but having that small business mentality where you can change things on the fly it's not that completely it's yeah. overstructured there's so much hierarchy that if you want a decision made it's super it's Got got go through weeks yeah, super
2: of agile so you know part of the way the business is structured is to give each department autonomy and freedom and agility to to do what they need to do I think the the important bit that Jane and Chris do our, our CEOs is they don't lead from the top down. They are very much there as a supporting mechanism to sort of empower us and go, You wanna do this? Go off and do it. And they're there more now to kind of facilitate the integration part because as the individual business units, they're operating really, really well. And now the challenge for us is to make that all really seamless internally.
0: There's key bits in it, you know, like the, the processes that run in the background, once they're up and they're stable, they look after themselves. You know, the people are dear to them and that's absolutely fine. You know, but there's there's the few elements that you can't you can't really buy off the shelf. You know, we're really keen on empowering people, giving people, like Sean was saying, the power to make a decision. But what we do in the same way is we have a sort of mentality of striving for excellence so that those people, if the rest of the group are saying, yeah, that's a really good decision, then they know they're in the right place to say, okay, yeah, let's, let's do it. We beat cynicism with a big stick yeah. <laughs> insofar as to say there's nothing worse than demoralising someone who has a great idea by going, oh, I'm not sure about that. Oh.
2: And there's one word that's kind of banned because I know I've been batted away a few times. If you try and say something's good, you, it, it's either great or shit. Like yeah. we, we don't want There's mediopity. no middle ground with no, it. Because yeah. there's no point because if it's good, you can go somewhere else and get good. Yeah. If it's great then we're on the right path. If it's rubbish, then we need to think and adapt and change and do something differently. But good is the enemy because you can't grow to the size we are now or grow to the size we want to be with good. Nobody just likes good.
1: I mean, when we're looking back at it, it hurts me with the Toys R Us example, because I shop there for, I used to have dreams when I was a kid. Mount Jeffrey. Yeah. so It's a be, magical place. But I'd, um, I'd have that dream where I'd be told we're going to Toys R Us the next day. And I'd wake up and just be disappointed with the whole thing. But it was um, an experience. I yeah, remember yeah.
2: Power Wheels coming but out and that you'd was go the toys whole.
1: It was the experience of it. And do you think that's the same with someone like yourselves, where it's, it's the experience, it's the magic of a creative content business the stuff that you're doing is stuff that somebody couldn't do themselves i think
2: yeah. i think it's a it's an ability to be chameleon like as well though because like matt's explained if we have stayed the same business we were in 75 there's absolutely no way it would still be here now because when they go out to shoots in miami and take reams and reams of film the the impact of digital on photography alone was unbelievable it changed overnight it would it just change processes completely but if if they hadn't have had the insight or ability or agility to be able to, well, that all rhymed. Um yeah. To be able Nailed to that. I know, right? So yeah, if if they hadn't have had the ability to do that, th- you know, this business wouldn't be here. And it's because people were given that chance to fail, fail fast, or succeed and and find a new route that it is still here. And I think Toys R Us, it's horrible because uh, if you're of a certain age, you do remember going. And if you've got kids, I'm sure you would have taken them at some point. But where does Toys R Us fit now in the world of Amazon when you can prime delivery and get it the next day?
1: You
0: look at all the toy market as a sector and you see how people who've really targeted things. Some companies have been really clever in seeing the Toys R Us scenario way in advance. And the obvious example in my mind that I see is Smith Toys. Yeah. You know, Smith Toys about five years ago, probably a bit longer actually, took the decision that They found in the toy market, their actual biggest threat was the Argos catalog. So what Smith's toys did was invest massively in a good old fashioned catalog that they smashed out to every single kid in the world because they knew how kids shot the Argos catalog. So what they're going to do, actually, they were going to take away all the boring stuff that kids aren't interested in, the toasters, the kettles, the curtains, all that sort of stuff, and we'll make it a little bit bigger and we'll absolutely splatter it all brand led stuff and we'll smash it to them. And actually now. Come Christmas, Smith Toys catalogue is 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 right up there with the gift the Boots gift guide. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's it's become a staple of children's and Christmas. And they'll you know, as you and I look back and we used to circle the Argos catalogue, chances are my kids and your kids will look back and it'll be the Smith Toys catalogue. Yeah, yeah. You know, and what Smith Toys did really well was A nail that model of how to get to market and what to get to market with, but then that whole process of how I purchase it and the service level on the back of it was brilliant for them you know and Argos did exactly the same thing in the same day delivery you know click and collect they were pioneers in click and collect so you know if you're toy shopping at christmas and you're a mum you're straight into Argos you pick up your 20 toys and you're out the door in a, in a minute you know and the same day delivery was was another pioneering thing that they led do you think toys have been
1: let down then in that sense that maybe the people that were advising them so that's they exactly maybe didn't have
2: the point so Matt's touched on it there, but it, it screams that somebody there had no understanding of audience behaviours anymore. They were built on a model that was working on how audiences used to behave and interact with the brand, but they have no comprehension now of that customer journey. That's the important bit, and the good businesses like Smith's are getting that. Yeah. It's, it's those touch points and how people are shopping, because it's different. It's different in Manchester than it is in London. It's different in... London that it is in Mumbai it's different everywhere but if you can't fundamentally understand how your offer is going to be received by somebody and, and purchased then you're kind of making a rod for your own back because your advertising campaign could yeah. be amazing but if no one's going to see it,
0: yeah. and it and the words you know the word strategies bounced around around you know or well, they must have had the wrong strategy they must have had but when you think about when when strategy comes down to the crux of what strategy is it's basically a bunch of choices for the business and you're either going to make the right choice or you're either going to make the wrong choice and it's whether they've been daring enough to make the daring choice or whether they've sat on the fence and gone actually no we won't we won't go for that target we'll go for this this target because we think that's a bit more achievable Where actually in in a lot of the a lot of places especially with we were talking about you know you mentioned amazon in that, if you're going to compete against that shit, or bust, or that's it. You know what I mean. You either go out there and you really go for it, and yeah. you fail fast, and you know you you learn and you react to it, or you just sit and see what happens.
2: But it's all linked to you know shopping behaviors now as well. A big part of our business is obviously working with, for example, fast fashion brands, and the reason fast fashion is is so powerful is because it's cheap, it's accessible they're getting the marketing right because they know their audience and this this audience of people will make a decision to buy a £10 dress that they need for the weekend because they're going out and socialising. But that model (coughs) is completely different to something how a, a Toys R Us would run. But it's interesting to see the rise of that versus, you know, you couldn't have imagined 10 years ago Toys R Us going under. But equally you couldn't have imagined the technology to be where it is now and advertising and the options we have. I never thought on a bus to school playing snake that in, you know, X number of years time and decades later I could create an anemoji of myself singing Journey, Don't Stop Believing and Send a Unicorn to my mum because that's, that's <laughs> a bit weird and niche. But it's different and not every business should necessarily be forecasting 15 years into the future. But if you can't even be ready for the next 12 to 18 months and know what's coming and know whether that's going to be relevant and impact your business, you're dead in the water.
0: It's, it's, it's decisions as well. You know, you th- one brand that stands out in my mind who has absolutely nailed their sector is AO. You know, you think about... Buying a fridge, buying a freezer, and in my world, my world caves in and I dread it. You know, but having had experience with those guys and seeing the fact that they started at the the other end of that spectrum, actually, what you know, there's a customer journey. Someone finds a fridge, they buy it, they want to order it. Mm-hmm. So everyone else in that sector at the time was thinking, let's just get the purchase done. Let's expose people to the to the white goods, and that's what happened. A O completely flipped that on the head and said, right, we'll start from the back. What's the most what's the biggest problem when you buy a fridge freezer if you live in a flat it's actually getting it into your flat so what we'll do is we'll make you completely confident and nail that operation and you know what we'll do we'll take your old ones away and we'll plug it in for you actually start to begin back from that What's the problem we'll give you great customer service what happens if you know do you want a choice of 10 5 50? Here you go. Actually, do you know what? We'll have a really short URL that, that everyone remembers and it f- just so happens we can get the Ramones tune in there to advertise <laughs> it, which is even better. And then just that whole model has just been absolutely brilliant. And actually now, if you've got to pay 10 quid more to shop with AO, the benefit is unprecedented, so you'll do it.
2: Yeah. Irrespective of what comes down the line over the next couple of years in terms of advertising or reaching people, doesn't matter because they know fundamentally people will still buy because they've seen their mate suzanne post a review and say oh this was mint they were really slick it was great i even know how many clothes fit in it before i bought it because i saw that weird little social media post they did but they completely get that and they've made white goods sexy and cool and fun which
0: and the fact they've not fallen into that trap of actually we'll discount everything. We'll make everything cheap so people come to us for the cheap. You know, they've used the John Lewis model of we will bring customers to us yeah. purely based on our reputation for great quality and great service. Mm.
1: It's like one one of the things that I saw in the whole debate about the Toys R Us thing was why couldn't they have put like a soft play area in there mm. with some of the toys that they sell, let the kids play with them, and then at the end you could buy that toy. Not obviously the one that everyone's played with, but you can go to a shelf, get that toy and go and buy it. Here's the sort of counter
0: argument for that suggestion. So that purchase then is built on the experience of having that toy with that child in that environment. Kids now will get that experience by watching Ryan's toy review on YouTube. And if Ryan sits there and plays with it, then he says it's great my five-year-old son walks in and says, I want Green Lantern because it's brilliant. Yeah. But that links and to the wider... All the, all the toys are, you know, all that Toys R Us in that context against, up against somebody who are literally just a warehouse distributing to demands of what kids see in socia- on mm. social media.
2: Yeah. It's all about that wider piece, though. The, the customer reviews thing and influencers, as you've sort of yeah. uh, lended to, it's, it's still that authenticity thing. And some brands get it really, really right, because they get positive reviews but nobody's perfect and it's how brands deal with negative stuff that uh, is getting real spotlight at the minute as well so it's not a, there was a process for a really long time for brands who were experiencing a problem with a customer online would say oh uh, let's put this into your dms because we need to exchange some open information i think the most famous one recently was gary neville So Gary Neville on Twitter uh, moaning about, I think it was British Airways and they'd oversold the flight and he was furious and they were trying to take him offline as as you were probably trained to do with social and say, okay, Gary, if you DM us some details and he's going, no, I want to know why you've done this. I I need you to deal with this now. And they perhaps didn't respond in the way that would have alleviated that situation really fast. Who did chime in? Virgin Trains
0: I was sat here saying my absolute perfect example of customer service over social media is Virgin Trains
2: Virgin Trains nail it I, I mean the, the toilet stuff they do at the moment is is borderline it's kind of being creepy getting Will Ferrell advertised that when I'm doing my business yeah. um, but it's that, they just nail it and
0: that you know I, I am guilty as charged of the amount of times I've taken to Twitter at half seven on a Friday night stood on a cold platform in Milton Keynes or waiting at the concourse in Houston to be told your train's delayed by twenty minutes, and I've written a sarcastic, "Oh, thanks very much, at Virgin Trains. There's my weekend starting late again, thanks to you." And they've been back instantly within yep. minutes. You know, keep your ticket, we'll refund you, or this is the problem, and you just—they y- put you in a position where you just can't argue. You say, well, "Do you know what, guys? Fair play. You're all right. I'll take that." But it's
2: real and it's authentic to them. So Virgin is a brand. Experiencing them on a flight to on a on a train to you know, the failed Virgin Coke fiasco, or whatever, but. It's the same experience. The Pammy Ball. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, Virgin Mobile RIP. Is that still a thing? Um, it's, it is the Virgin experience and it is absolutely them. And the brands that excel at the minute are the ones that know who they are and they are that regardless of the platform they're on, regardless of who you meet in that company, how they look, how they feel. It's, it's so much more emotional in marketing and customer services at the minute because people have realized the the power of emotional purchase or the power of emotional customer service. You're irate when you're moaning on social media because that's your instant moment of gratification to pop out now 240 characters that sarcastically ever go at a brand, but it's the ones who can get that and flip it into something positive. It's just genius, and they do so much more with turning a negative into a positive than they ever do by perpetrating, oh, thanks, I'm really glad you loved it. Because you see that trite day in, day out, but it's how a brand deals with a problem that I think makes them shine at the minute.
1: And I mean, it's a nice segue into the second topic, nice charm way, into the second topic, which is, uh, take that. Social media and content. So who's doing it right? And more importantly, what people want to hear, who's doing it wrong? Mm. So who's like really messing it up? Uh, Obviously it was good to hear about Virgin Trains getting it right. Other companies that I know really like innocent drinks. Yeah. They get it right. Their interaction with people online. There's a lot of comedy in there. In those moments, they pick it really well. Yeah. It works for their audience. Same with Paddy Power. If you look at Paddy Power's Facebook and Twitter pages compared to like Paddy Power, Betfair, LinkedIn, very corporate, all the rest of it, go to Twitter and Facebook and you get all the fan denial stuff and like all the funny bits and their interactions are a lot better. Yeah. And the commentary they do during games is always really fun.
2: I think Paddy Power, another example of a brand, though, who, when they fail, they they fail big and yeah. fast and get all the furore around it and then tend to flip it into something else. Oh, completely. I
1: mean, the amount of times they've paid out on bets that have flipped and, Ugh. do you know what I mean, <laughs> Turn around. Like, they must have lost. But then they come out and say how much money they've lost because of it. So they're, yeah. they're right in there.
2: But it's dead transparent really often and really them. Paddy Power, it, their posts, their content, whatever is them. I think you'd pick it out of most of the other betting Yeah, I don't or? think there's anyone
1: really. I think some people try and replicate to a degree and try and get that level of kind of fun, banter, interaction. Mm. But no one, I don't think, does it as well as as Paddy Power. No. Especially when they're coming back to, to customers as well. So I think a lot of people treat uh, Twitter as kind of like their own customer service line. I think that what betting and gaming do immensely
0: well is they understand that, the more that they entice people in, chances are the more money people are gonna yeah. get rid of. But there's that tier of customer in betting game. You know, there is they you know, their, their target market probably bets once a week. It's probably gonna have a you know hundred quid tops, and that's either gonna be on a few specific sports. So the big rollout, the big banners go go to those goes to those guys. But then when they're communicating with the high rollers that's when everything changes and that's when suddenly everything takes a serious note and suddenly they're, they're into the thousands not hundreds yeah. and all of a sudden the banter's left at the door and <laughs> yeah. that's what they do so well
1: in that that target in their customer understanding I mean, Skybet do that in the sense that so they've gone away from the banters and they start posting out these hackers so people that have won or cashed out for really high amounts yeah from small bets so they've gone the other way of saying we'll be funny and all the rest of it but funny's over there you could win a grand by sticking a bet on these five it's that
2: enticing thing because because anybody could do that you could you could put a long punt on anything and at some point somebody's going to win off it it's it's the same thing that makes me irate when it comes to transfer deadline day you put enough guff out there that you know x is going to sign for z and one of them's going to be right and it's it's the same with a a long acker
0: It's not the same without Harry Redknapp. Oh no, just yeah. hanging out of a window, <laughs> <Yeah>. spitting, <laughs> spitting
2: Whoa. at the reporters. But it is. It's. it's you put enough stuff out there, something will catch.
1: One of the things we were talking about before the show was Poundland, mm. with the whole elf on the shelf, the Christmas thing. Obviously, that got loads of press, and like they were getting dug out for it a little bit as well, saying it was inappropriate. But by the time that hearing had kind of come in, and they were told not to do it. It'd already passed, like Christmas had done, they'd already had the impression, so they didn't care. It
2: was funny. It definitely offended people, but the, there was an amount of humour in that that was probably, you know, my awful sense of humour appreciated it. And it, it's not for kids, and it's not for certain, and, and people will be offended, but it worked for them. It, Poundland it, is not it made a, them a brand stand I would out. follow. Uh, Yeah.
1: As a brand, like that was, no one would have really cared that much about them before then. It worked really, really well by
0: association. And Mm. what I mean by that is there's thousands of parents who have an elf on the shelf who every night before Christmas have to think of something that this elf is going to (laughs) do for when their kids wake up in the morning. And I know having stood in the playground at school. Ideas are exchanged and passed round, and when you've had one too many sherry's on. There's a little Christmas bit. Eve. There's a little bit of competition. And you've got to entertain it. yourself as well when you've got kids. You know
1: what I mean? There's only so much Paw Patrol and, that's going to get you. Free, and all like. of a sudden, there was.
0: Oh my! Look what these guys have done. <laughs>
2: <laughs> quip Grab the Yorkshire tea.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, you know, that's what. That's what. And there was all these people who sort of had this. I mean, don't get me wrong. Some people are full of ideas and were wonderful. But you know, I imagine there's probably a few parents. I know I spoke to a few myself who were like, "Do those elves on the shelves by the by the middle of December were driving them? We're driving them crazy." <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: But it is, and I think you know, Poundland probably reveled in that because they're they're a brand that could. They got a lot of flack for it, but equally they got a lot of praise. And yeah. ultimately, if their goal was engagement and appealing to an audience who, who would probably never have heard of them before. Congratulations, they did it. You know, on on the flip side of that, last year, the Walker's Wave campaign, that just somebody did not do their research on people full stop before that went live. Because if you couldn't see pictures of Jimmy Savile and the Wests come in, then good God, why are you in marketing? Why was that allowed? Oh, the, the good-natured public who decided to name Boaty McBoatface. And why would you let Why would you let that happen unless they wanted it to go? Absolutely. That was just... like Know your audience. Know that they're going to use that. Poor Gary Lineker has way too many pictures of himself with, with bad people now. He doesn't want that.
1: Mm. A lot of marketers get tired with the pessimistic brush and, and cynical, but I think they do have to think about every single eventuality that yeah. could come from these campaigns. And I think sometimes when, maybe we're in companies that don't have that, you sometimes get with smaller companies that don't have it, and kind of let the the marketing team, which is usually one or two people, just run the social media. That's when it can really go downhill because they've not had a chance to sense check it or think of what could happen. Silent
0: Night did it as well. The bed, the bed people. You know, in, in sort of going back to old school marketing. You know, you'd walk into every single bed shop in the world and be mattresses cut in half so you could see how many spring pocket mattresses are in it and a sign saying you know the more spring pocket mattresses the better better night's sleep you had i mean you and i could walk into a mattress shop now we couldn't care less whether there was two springs (laughs) or 200 springs as long as it was comfortable and we slept all right we'd be fine with it so silent night did this brilliant thing of actually saying you know what let everybody else fight about their technological advances in their mattress technology we'll just become champions of sleep good night's sleep if you want to sleep well Wake up the next morning refreshed. Think silent night. You know, as simple as that.
2: They were bold enough to go out there and say, what makes you want to purchase a mattress? Well, you know, the reason I'm getting rid of mine is I'm having a really bad night's sleep. Hmm, great idea that. <laughs> why is nobody else doing it? And it's, it's, finding, that, it's finding that why. And it's, that's the really interesting thing is when, when you get the why and you get the the problem that somebody's facing, all right, you know, not everybody has, has that as a business. If you're selling high heeled shoes, you, you might not not necessarily go, what's your problem? I struggle to walk in seven inch heels. Mm. We'll find a cool way to put that out. I have always
1: struggled yeah. to walk <laughs> in seven inch heels. I'm there's glad you said to that, to not Six me. Inch, I'm fine. <laughs> it's that extra inch, it just topples it, me over.
2: It, it comes down to the why. it comes down to the audience.
1: And you guys have, have got an example. I know there's something on your website about promoting. So clothes, for instance, you do a lot of fashion. So how close the promotion of those through social media, that's changed. I know you did a, a piece recently, you were interviewing one of your, is it your photographers, designers? What was it?
2: Uh, it was one of our um, creative heads actually in London. So um, it was all around sort of how to make e-commerce really work. And it was more sort of uh, looking at stats around how. I think this year, e-commerce revenues forecast to increase 1.4 trillion or something around there. Those are the statistics. The big issue with purchasing online is battling the problem of returns so something like you know around 20% of all online purchases are returned dependent on you know whether that's fashion or whether that's beauty or, or whatever it is garden furniture that that will greatly differ and how do you get over this problem of returns well one of the key issues with that is how that product is visually served to someone it doesn't look like it did online I'm sending these trousers back because they don't look like they did on her or him and it's you know for us a big challenge is how do we take the photos or make the videos in the right way so that that lowers returns which helps a business full stop but also projects that product in the right light you can over egg a product and it looks incredible and you end up with something rubbish or completely the opposite it looks rubbish online and, and you get it
0: and I guess you keep it then but it's having the bravery almost to say we want to help you because we want to help your customer. And what I mean by that is there's almost an acceptance now. If you're of a size, you might be medium, you might be large, you're not quite sure, I'll order two. Mm. And that's become quite a norm, especially uh, stop me if I sound
1: sexist. In in female shopping, oh totally buying two to is, is because is, is every a, is shop's different.
2: No size is the same. Don't I get me I started I just on that up one.
1: With stuff like me, if it doesn't fit, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> sucks to be me. <laughs> 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 Better G- next time, genuinely, it, don't the, <laughs> yeah.
2: it's a whole nother rant about how uh, women's fashion is is so badly sized. It is it is ridic- a size eight in one business is a size fourteen in another. It's absolutely insane, and and that's a big problem. The piece we've got online is around sort of this e commerce imagery, and it's how the trend <coughs> has kind of gone from your stills, your very sort of simple shots, to something way more creative. So it's being able to show products, you know, in situ, moving, how they actually look and feel. It's why brands like ASOS have the still shots and the catwalk and, and all of those things as well. The close ups, how does what does the zip look like? What does it what does it
0: feel like and the natural next cause of the next sort of evolution of that will be around the reality of things. Yeah. We already know retailers who are working in a space where you will be scanned as you go in the shop. So if you saw a product that you'd like it can put it on you straight away and you know instantly whether it's too big, too small, what size. And that that can read your size, tell you what size you would be. Mm. And it sounds like a bit of a pipe dream, but I actually think it's a lot closer than people, people yeah. think. I mean, yeah. I've used the IKEA app for that, like when you just just in a chair up or whatever. Some, some of them really work and are promoted really, really well. That IKEA app is, is, is a prime example of it. But you think eight years ago, Argos had an app in their catalogue that allowed you to put a flat screen plasma TV on the wall in your room to see it with at scale against your wall see if it was too big or not. No one ever knew it was there. Yeah.
2: And the next big bit for us is is obviously insight. So as, as a business, we've always been able to report on ROI and things like that. And and you know, we've got the digital team who are very analytically focused, uh, the brand and strategy side, which is has used tools like WGSN and other, you know, important assets to research but we're now in the very early stages of actually understanding real data and from a neuroscience level so you know data scientists are the hottest job title in the world right now trying to trying to find one is insane so we're now working with a company who are in here a couple of days a week to actually deliver the thoughts that you don't think you have and reactions you're not aware you're having so this is everything from the basic eye scanning when you're looking at a website to you know what is your skin doing that you're not aware of what what's giving you goosebumps it's way beyond just heat mapping and people thinking they know how you're behaving yeah. Long
0: gone are the days where put the big picture on the right hand page and make them look <laughs> yeah. in so you follow their right eye lines to yeah. the products on make the left it hand blue page. not
2: green but it's it's <laughs> your unconscious reactions to things and that's that is next level scary because this isn't just Oh, you're you're maybe giving this me this reaction because you think I want it. This is I'm measuring the reactions you don't even know you're having.
1: I mean, we've talked about some some good examples of social media. Uh, obviously, the audience are going to want to know some of those bad ones.
2: So, uh, I kind of we've mentioned the Walkers wave. Um, Saws about that uh, Gary Lineker. Um, kind of ones that have had positive. You've been blocked. And, I know. <laughs> blocked on Twitter. <to laughs> no, I like Gary. McDonald's flipping the M for International Women's Day. Good thing. Bad thing patronizing not it's kind of out in the ether of could be good could be bad but has received quite a large amount of stick this this one's you might have to edit this out i don't know so uh dorothy perkins in 2017 the year of dorothy perkins um launched their hashtag love dp campaign now for the more innocent among you listening um, that will mean nothing and fly way over your heads which is great for the uh dregs of society who are listening and, and know what that is. The um, people that are
1: nodding along now yeah. going, whoa, wait a minute.
2: Yeah, so if you love DP as well, then don't Google's going to be going wild <laughs> after this. Like, Urban Dictionary is getting it. Don't Google it at work. Yeah, no. Um, secure network. So yeah, I mean, that was in shop windows that kids yeah. saw that. That's something that went offline and online viral. That's another um, sense
1: check thing of just like, come on That is surely...
2: Guys. I wanted to end on a, an absolute favourite and some would say a classic... Susan Boyle, everyone's favourite Britain's Got Talent winner, I think, um, with hashtag #SusanAnalBumParty, which was Susan's album launch party, <laughs> um, if you read it the right way. But it's it's a classic. But so many so many brands do it wrong. I even saw something today about when you're looking to create a new URL for your website, always check how it looks without capital letters, because when you, a brand name might sound super innocent and sweet when it is capital this word, capital this word. When you remove the capital letters, that changes how those words look together and you potentially get a whole new brand that you didn't want.
1: So the final topic of the day is uh, flexible working and the stigma it creates. Uh, The reason I wanted to bring up with you guys is that predominantly marketing, creative, are an industry where there is flexible working not everyone is expected to be at the desk nine to five it doesn't work it's past five and we're here doing a podcast so what are your kind of experiences of it and i know Matt, you've been doing stuff with um with the team that we'll get into in a minute i mean shan probably you're i mean you've worked in marketing across different things mm. you have like say vice chair of mpa Thanks. your roles have to have a kind of a, a flexible. Element y- to them. She yeah, won't know. Is. She's not been here all week. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> Comments <laughs> like
2: that. <laughs> um no, it, it is. And like luckily I've worked both, you know, brand side for for businesses across the Northwest and have been, you know, worked in a digital agency and now I'm in a creative business. There's a really wide understanding now, I think, of of that need for flexibility. Um, it's always existed, but it was it was kind of stigmatized. And I think in a role in marketing unfortunately you just sort of have to accept that that is it's a for me it's a lifestyle so work and social life are kind of a really similar thing and that's great because I love what I do but most evenings are out networking or at an event or doing something that kind of feeds into my day job so I might be out first thing at a breakfast event get here for 10 a.m deal with stuff in the office oh you
1: finally decided to show up did you <laughs> 10 exactly. o'clock start, late start
2: oh what time is yeah, it yeah. afternoon yeah um you know no, pe- i hate that and don't oh, forget
1: when somebody th- says afternoon you think oh funny when's your stand-up set <laughs> when you're at the apollo don't forget the three o'clock friday finish <laughs>
2: three o'clock friday finish yeah if i feel like working <laughs> late all jokes aside i think it's just an understanding of different job roles i am in the role i'm in because you know part of that is I don't think everyone would choose to be at a breakfast networking event at 7am and then be at a panel event till midnight and networking and socializing with people and then strolling at 9am the next day and, and sort of be wide eyed and bushy tailed and deal with stuff in the office. But, you know, I love that bit of the job. It can be super draining. It's what, you know, hopefully I'm good at, which is why I still do it. But it's important that whoever you work for recognises that as well because you do rib each other and it's, and it's funny, but I know deep down that if, if there's any deep-rooted hate, you know, I wouldn't still be here because I would have been told to leave the business a long time ago. And I think they accept that that is just part of the role. You know, if you, if you are working all, all weekend, every weekend, well, something's fundamentally wrong there, so you shouldn't be doing it.
1: Yeah. Um, it's that work-life balance, isn't it? Like totally. if you're still like in the office... Yeah. Till eight, nine o'clock at night. The question is going to be, why Why you?
2: <laughs> and if you work for a great business, I think like Chris and Jane hate emailing late. They are totally against, you know, 5.30. That is officially when you clock off. It can wait till tomorrow, unless it's life or death. They, they, they're not big fans of emails on the weekend and in an evening. And I'm, my very corporate background is the opposite of that if you don't respond to an email at 3am why not why weren't you here at five when i told you to be where were you and it's it's amazing to see that shift change because it's it's really important and you know sometimes it's down to somebody being inefficient that they they can't switch off after work sometimes it's just dependent on the job you do that you
0: can't switch off it's the word flexibility as well and having that word has got numerous meanings in especially in a business like ours, yeah. you know, traditionally you would take the civil service, and your flexible working would be cramming your hours into three days, so you can have Thursday and Friday off. Whereas our flexible here is, we've got guys and girls who who perform specific roles, and they it's almost like a chain reaction. They need to do their role before the people do their role. So, you know, we've got guys who start early and finish early, because they're done by that point. And actually that suits them because that that's that their lifestyle is is, is convenient for that. And we've got people who I'm sure if you asked them if they'd like to work different hours would do, but their job can only happen when stage one is finished, unfortunately. And that's, you know, that's made quite clear to them that, that that's got to happen. We're flexible in so far as if someone has a need then we can flex to that need. We can't be as flexible to how the civil service were, f- we're flexible, for example. Yeah. But what we can do, and I'm, and I'm a prime example of that, everyone has children, for example. Children are one of those issues that... Oh, work a work, work, day, work Ca- days... Can't work, wait for your who, kids to hear this back and be like, be Dad, why was that an issue? Timings, <laughs> timings and children, work you, timings and children just don't go hand in hand, do they? So, you know, my wife and I work flexible hours within a within a parameter in order for me to take my kids to school on a Thursday morning you know and back to your point about work-life work balance I can't now imagine my life not seeing my children interact with their playground and seeing them interact with their friends and being able to put names to faces you know go back a generation to my dad he would have never dreamt of that because he went to work and my mum looked after the kids you know and now we sort of we've got this society now where it's it's accepted that people will want a little bit of give and take in, in their working day so we're as flexible as people need to be you know we've we we work with guys we work with people who start later and finish a little bit later we work with people who start earlier and finish a little bit earlier in order to meet their other other mm-hmm. demands that they've that, 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 they, that they've got there
2: are, you know there are certain roles in any business that you could perform from you know a, a beach on thailand if you really wanted to there are some where you, you have to be, like Matt said, in a location at a particular time because that that's what you're there to do. And I think part of it is you know choose the right path for you. If you want flexible working, you know, don't necessarily say you're gonna be a crane operator because you might have to do something in a particular time period. And if, if you wanna say, well, actually, I wanna come in at seven that day, well, all the construction team are in for, for six, so you kinda have to be there, mate. Um, it's massively important but it impacts everything from attraction to retention and talent as well because it's not acceptable anymore for a business to say we're not willing to be flexible so you you work to our time periods and the way we operate or i'm sorry but you're not going to be here well you're not going to get the best talent and you're certainly not going to keep them because who's going to be happy with without that
0: flexibility and if you create the right environment flexibility sort of comes hand in hand with that environment you know we've got a load of creative guys here if you said to those creative guys i tell you what you can stay at home and do that project i bet 99.9 of them would actually say do you know what i'll come to the office yeah. because they're in an environment with other people thinking the same way doing the same sort of thing they probably realize that some projects they'll be here a little bit later some projects may work into the weekend if that's the case you know we you know you reimburse certain things and that sort of happens but there are other people here who you know me being one of them might have to create a 30-page presentation, which means sitting in a room by myself, and to chance point, I could do that sat at home. Yeah. So actually, if I'm more productive, spending the morning at home, not answering my phone, not having people come and stand by my desk, talking about last night's football result, for example. There's times that I would be less productive being in the office, than actually being at, yeah. being out of the office at home doing that.
1: I mean, we went to the uh, to the internet to pull some stats on, on flexible working, so take them however you will. 67% of people wish that flexible working was offered to them. 47% don't have it encouraged. And even 40% would choose that over a pay rise. So they prefer to have flexible working instead of the money. 70% of workers strongly believe that flexible working would make a job more attractive to them. I know it was attractive for me is clarity in terms of coming in there and having bosses that understood young family. There was that give and take there. It bred loyalty for me. For my own personal views, I would work Mm. harder for them because they work harder for me. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, I've worked in jobs where it's absolutely not been the case where it's been structured. You are here nine till half five. There's no flexibility. You've got to work that time back. If at all, you get it. You've got to put any holiday requests in, a strict two weeks in advance and and all. And that's not made me want to work any harder for that company. Which is not
2: real life. Real life isn't rigid. Real life throws curveballs at you all of the time. And if, as a business, you can't adapt to that or be willing to adapt to that and, and be flexible, then you're just not going to survive yeah. through it. And it's.
0: And th- there's also a notion that, you know, if when you come and work in a business like ours, in a sector like ours, flexibility has, like I said earlier, has more than one meaning. And what I mean by that is you're going to know that pitches, jobs, timelines are going to bend and flex. And there probably will be an occasion where you need to be sat at 8 o'clock at night. You know, I, I speak from experience. I've sat it's longer than eight, later than 8 o'clock at night on many, on many occasions. But the instance of that is if that, you know, if that's a Wednesday and I suddenly say, you know what? Well, oh, I'm absolutely knackered. I can't even think straight. Then many times my boss has said to me, well, don't come in till 10 tomorrow. You no, know, that, that works, but that works both yeah. ways. You know, I think that sort of that breeds the loyalty that, you, that you're referring to. It, yeah. it, rightly to your point you know other than those people and you probably find those people who work you know rigid flexi 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 time and i use the civil service as an example as well as saying i can cram all my hours into three days chances are when it gets to six o'clock on day one two and three they're out the door yeah and there's there's no there's no sort of ownership of what they're doing ownership of the project they're just feeding a massive machine full of information because it can be negative
2: if if you you know, flexibility can be negative as well because if you can cram all that in, you'll do your time as yeah. opposed to necessarily get the work mm-hmm. done. And it's it's a massive trust thing as well and, and that works both ways. If you can trust that your business will adapt to you, then they trust that you're not taking the mick when you need to do something. All I would say on that topic is, if you do work with someone that you like to jibe about maybe coming in a bit later because they've had to do something or they do like to leave at three o'clock on a Friday, um, you know, And they're actually are working or trying to be flexible and maybe be less harsh or snide with the comments because it, it cuts deep.
1: Just keep them on the toes.
2: Just keep them guessing. Where are you today? <laughs> um, um, um.
1: I know you've been in the process that allows your account guys to work a bit more flexible so they don't necessarily have to always be in the office. They can. As we migrated from three lo- you know three locations and
0: three independent businesses in, into into one business one area that was an a massive issue was visibility across the business we knew that there are instances where for example both manchester and london use an indian resource what would happen is that that resource would be requested through india and through no fault of india just the way that the, the way they were grown it that they wouldn't know who was priority what what we're doing what we're not doing and bless them it is their culture not to say no yeah so they would continue to say yes so we needed we needed uh, that's among other examples where we needed visibility on work that was in the business also we needed visibility on what those individuals in the business were doing so we had a lot of disparate systems doing disparate things and um we spent the past two years really researching and deep diving into systems that will allow us to operate as one even though theoretically we're eight independent business units and those independent business units may as well be different businesses because they do massively different things and different time frames and different um, durations of jobs. So a group of us for from across each of the locations so from Manchester, London and Mumbai have really spent a lot of time deciphering and finding out the right system for us and we've we're in slap bang in the middle of implementing a system called workbook and what workbook will allows everybody to do and give everybody visibility of is every person's individual tasks you know previously my to-do list chance to do list might have exist on post-it notes someone in some other units may use another bit of Software and it's it, it just happened like that because we've grown organically and as people have come into business business units they've just they've just brought some things with them we're always we'll, we will always embrace that, um, but what we needed was to understand as a holistic group what <coughs> what people were responsible for what people were doing allow them to put time against things then we would be able to see you know what how how many hours for example. Sean works on a job that should be chargeable but that we don't currently charge. And it's about working more efficiently from a financial perspective, but also working more efficiently with our people. And actually, if Manchester need a photographer and there's a spare photographer in London, why don't you come up a tr- come on a train and come up here? Whereas yeah. previously, we wouldn't have even asked them. We would have just booked a freelancer and brought a freelancer in. So it's about giving people opportunities, seeing those opportunities, but more than anything else, having one group holistic view that allows us to see what's going on across the three locations.
1: I suppose that's a good way to still monitor productivity. So if you're still doing that flexible oh, working, that's one way of doing it. You're monitoring what somebody's doing. You don't have to have them in your eye line, but as long as they're using that system correctly,
2: without being weirdly spy esque about it. I think the visibility thing across the whole piece is key. But you know what it isn't is a system to make sure you know somebody's doing what they're supposed to do. What it is, is, is a key tool in us actually being integrated because it, it now means that, I mean, at the minute, in terms of channels internally, we rely on email, Slack, WhatsApp, text, shouting across the room, phone calls, desk phones. Tanoys. Tanoys, <laughs> Jira, tons of different Trello, Post-it notes, notes on desks. All this kind of stuff is, is how we are because we're, we're trying to get better, but with this new system all of that can go away
1: right well we've uh, covered all the topics the final part of the show is when we talk about the first best and worst um travel situations that you've been in are you prepped first... or do you want me to y- you go first okay ladies first i went first last time mm. Mm.
2: such a gentleman yeah. first was uh uk wide and remember my first work trip because i was really excited before i knew what work trips entailed I thought god that's glamorous getting to go away getting 20 quid to spend on my tea that's yeah, yeah. insane um getting petrol money what <laughs> um and a hotel for the night wow was I wrong it was uh, it was domestically and it was down to St Albans uh, because that was where our uh, head office HQ was and it was a super glamorous hotel really close to the office so I say super glamorous and don't mean it but it had a sense the tone yeah it was interesting I think the first time you go anywhere domestically you can kind of handle live in the UK so I kind of know what what food to expect what kind of people to interact with despite it being St Albans so that was interesting but it was the first time I ever went uh abroad with work that things really hit home because now this sounds really stupid and basic but Money, language, food, and location. I'm not a native French or German speaker. So all of those things I have had serious issues with and call it ignorance or whatever. I think the first time you go away for business is totally different to, you're in a different mentality than than when you go on holiday. So I remember going away for the first time and totally forgetting to take the right money out with me through work. So ended up paying for a load of stuff on my own card, which then yeah. caused problems. Because your
1: bank fees and all that. Exactly, and, added the, extra.
2: and the getting shouted at for that, not being well versed enough in a language to think. Oh, I've not decided to sort out how I get from an airport to the hotel itself, or if I'm being picked up. I don't know who it is. I've not had an itinerary to take with me, and it's it's been a bit of a disaster. Um, so those were kind of that that was first um, travel memories. I think worst, touch wood, never had a, a bad work-related trip, um, yet, but worst in terms of going abroad was, was definitely an experience in the Ukraine. The place itself was stunning and loved, uh, the Ukraine as a whole. It was the return journey that, um, that kind of sucked with that, and this is down to a lesson in packing, ladies and gentlemen. So, um, got all the way through controls in an airport and uh, just about to board Uh, and my surname is English just to get that out there and this will be important in a minute so over the tannoy and I'm completely oblivious because I'm getting in a queue to board the plane like I'm not going to do the accent but can passenger English please make themselves known and when you're in a busy airport When you hear that, I I don't think you automatically think...
1: We don't assume it's you, do you? I
2: I just thought they were looking for some English idiot who who, got lost or something in the airport. They were. Yeah, they were. were. This guy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Thanks. So it it keeps going, it keeps going, and I get to the front of the desk about to hand over my ticket. And all of a sudden, this giant human being with a machine gun taps me on the shoulder and sort of goes... Are you passenger English? At which point I go, oh. um, <laughs> yep, um, maybe. And he's like, come with me and sort of does the whole thing. Come with yeah, yeah. Um So I see him and there was a smaller person behind him and I look round at uh, the people I were traveling with, and their, their faces just dropped. And uh, also, no solidarity. No solidarity. <laughs> no. And, one and one they also gave you. me that face where I was like, You're going to get on that plane without me, aren't you? Like, I can, you've, yeah. you've waved at me, not good luck, you've waved goodbye. Um, so I, I went into this little side room with a cell um, and saw my suitcase open. <coughs> At which point I started to panic because in the time we left the Ukraine, we went through border uh, control uh, on the way into Poland because we actually flew back through Poland. And at which time they'd taken our suitcases off the coach we were traveling on and and sort of rifled through things to check and make sure everything was safe. So I then couldn't hand on heart say I was the last person to check inside the case because stupidly I hadn't. So um, he pointed in the case and he kind of motioned with his machine gun to to pick something up and for context i was on a ski holiday Um, so i'd taken with me some fantastic hand warmers which were fine taking into the country but apparently on the way back i'd accidentally cracked one of them um, and it was it was on in the bag and long story short they thought it was radiation and they thought i was i was basically trying to cause a, a big accident So I foolishly went in and and sort of said, oh, no, no, don't worry. At which point he was like, no, 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 and and turned the gun on me. And I was like, no, 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 no. Uh, I said, glove, cracked it, and was like, I've been skiing. I said, my hands have been cold. And he looked at me, looked at the thing, looked at me again, grabbed the packet, and saw there was a a big hand on it with a... and he just went,
1: oh, okay. Yeah. Everyone's friend. Yeah, <laughs> everyone <Yeah. laughs> was fine. Like, He's tapped me the on the gun. shoulder. <laughs> yeah.
2: At which point I'm literally going, oh my God, I think I'm going to die. So he then was like, oh, no problem, no problem. Pushed past all the people in the airport with me with his massive gun again. Shoved me at the front of the queue. It was like, safe flight home. Yeah. And I was like...
1: Mm. everyone was scared of you for the rest of the flight like what did she do basically
2: yeah but you know lesson learned Be be really careful what you're packing and know what what is allowed and and, and whatnot and just don't take hand warmers just just be grown up and get proper gloves that's the um, best
1: worst we've had justin just oh really for
2: excellent um I'll, s- I'll save the other one for <coughs> the next time i'm on yeah. then um and the best for me it was hard to pick one but it's the best of the best has always been when it's been seamless so from point of booking to wherever I'm going, to arrival, to where I'm greeted, to how things are laid out, to the, to the way everything goes you your way. It's the seamlessness of it, so you almost don't notice the little things. And it's when I've had, whatever they call, travel butlers when you go away. I remember going to Lille for the first time um, in France and just got there absolutely seamlessly because the way it had been organized was so incredibly fantastic I didn't have to think the timings in between transfers and the pickups and where I was staying and and I think they'd even thought about how to use my data roaming on my really old BlackBerry back in the day and that was that was the best example of it when you you don't even have to think oh I'm going away with work this is going to be a struggle it's it's absolutely smooth and seamless so that's kind of the best travel experience I've had.
1: And seamlessly on to Matt thanks Sean Smooth. I've been lucky enough
0: and uh, very very fortunate to do quite a lot of travelling in my role. The first time that I ventured out to see a client it's not very exotic it was down the 62 to Liverpool and we used to do a lot of work with Littlewoods when I first started shop director so they are now and we still work with them still a great client to work for um, and I used to shuttle down this, the 62 and then get myself uh, christened into these lovely bunch of Scousers at the other end of the 62. Not very glamorous. The other extreme is obviously we've got an office in India, you know, and, and absolutely without a shadow of a doubt, the, be- the, you know, the best work trips that, I, that I've had is, is going out to see those guys there. India as a place is completely enchanting. It's magical. You know, Mumbai, you would never, you'll never experience anything like it. It's charming, chaotic hectic wonderful all at the same time you know and we're lucky enough to have a great group of guys work over there who feel it's their duty when you get there to show you as much of the city as you possibly can see you know and i'm not senior management they're not senior management so we work we work together on a on a on, on an understanding you know that, that i don't need to be completely air conditioned everywhere i go and yeah. uh, and i see sites that that I imagine <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> our board members have never seen Um I went to a bar last time I was there and um it was classed as a working man's bar it was how it was classed to me so we went in and you couldn't make it up there was a smoke filled room at the back and there was Kabaddi on the big telly and they brought out masala poppadoms and we're having a few beers and one of the lads who was with me said where's where's the loo and the guy said oh he's in the corner behind the curtain over there and if you ever go to India, you'll understand that there are, there is people that do everything. There are people everywhere. People hold doors, open doors, close doors. There are people open boots of cars, shut boots of cars, that, and that's their job in and out. Of and behind this curtain, there was just a urinal. And uh, Mike went in, did his thing in behind the curtain. This little man opened the curtain, then shut the curtain. Mike finished, came out, and he gave him a towel to wipe his hands with. And then as Mike was walking back towards me and I could see behind him to where he'd been behind the curtain, this man's hand just whipped in behind the curtain and pulled out a five litre ice cream tub and just tossed it out the window. Oh <laughs> my <then> God. <laughs> and then put it back <sighs> in again. It's so like, definitely wasn't five star. But when we do go... <laughs> <laughs> I did not see that story going there when you said men's club. I was like, Ooh. Yeah, the, the flip side of that is that when we do go, obviously we India by nature... It, it's called delhi belly for obvious reasons you know and i think my worst trip to india has got to have been the the first time i went out i stayed out there for just short of four weeks and i thought i was thought i I was doing really great you know i heard all these horror stories around breakfast of everyone saying oh you know i've been touched by the hand of the delhi belly is the the phrase that we came out with and then and i was you know three weeks in I'm, i'm pretty fine i'm all right here you know and then i went to bed one night and I lay in bed and, thought oh. and I thought, oh, something doesn't quite feel right, and it's just like the earth shifted direction and plummeted for the ground. <laughs> not to be too graphic. <laughs> yeah, I just I spent the next 24 hours lying on the marble floor, just trying to keep my face cool.
1: Just that was horrendous. That that 24 hours. <laughs> was and it's worse when you're not at home because there's a certain vulnerability yeah. to being ill abroad.
2: And that sucks on a work trip as well. I've had it on non work trips, barley belly is similar. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's that's tough when you I mean it's at least you're getting paid to be ill.
0: well yeah, I was and say. you know, I, I served myself right really because you know, I had no sympathy with anybody else. So when I turned back up at the office the next day nobody had any sympathy with me, I had loads <laughs> of stuff to catch up on. I <laughs> had loads of work to do. I thought, like, oh, All right, okay, thanks guys.
2: <laughs> oh,
0: afternoon. <laughs> Yeah, so that's definitely the worst one. Definitely the worst one. And best at the same time, I suppose.
1: Right, guys, I really appreciate you coming on the show. If anyone wants to find out more about what you do, where can they go?
2: They can follow us at This Is 77 They can email um, hello at 77group.com. Um, and if you're wondering how that's quirkily spelt, let me quickly explain. It's 70, the word, followed by the number 7 which is one of the quirks of working for a creative business. <laughs> Search for a 77 group and you can't go too far wrong. You can find me at Shan english underscore or search for for anything to do with the mpa
1: not for you, matt's not even uh, she covered there. all the bases, well, covered all all the bases. That's, that's what head of commerce yeah. doesn't is it well, so. there you
0: go
2: that's, that's <laughs> one of my hats but yeah search for 77 um we're we're always out and about we're at a lot of events particularly in um manchester so reach out it would be good to get some feedback on this any hate mail please send to kyle um yeah, <laughs> kyle. <Daniel's at> <laughs> yeah. but no thank you for having us on i hope we haven't sounded ridiculous
1: no you've, you've been great well as always i've been your host carol daniels this is absolute clarity you can follow us at clarity underscore tm using the hashtag absolute clarity or you can go to the website www.claritytm.co.uk and we'll see you in two weeks thanks bye